Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Physical Digital Tiny Room. I am Michael, one of the co-hosts of Michael and Benjamin's podcast, and I am joined by the man who has been described as the man who is the second best wearer of a Michael and Benjamin's t-shirt podcast t-shirt. Ben- Benjamin uh, nailed it as usual, Michael. Uh, that was that was a very <laughs> that was a very tough lead-in for me. I, I struggled to to keep the silence, ladies and gentlemen. In the interest of audio quality, fine, superior, and the best in the market, um, we try and, and take a twenty-second breather at the start of every episode, and I struggled through that one. Uh, Michael, okay. I would say I am I am the worst wearer of a Michael and Benjamin's T-shirt, based solely on the criteria that I don't actually have one, Michael. I don't Look, ben, actually. I don't have feel one. like posting it to you in Italy. You um, can have it when you come home. It will be a Christmas present. Oh, what what a great Christmas present! Ladies and gentlemen, a Michael and Benjamin's T-shirt with uh, original logo designed by Michael and Benjamin. Uh, <laughs> that, that sounded a lot like an ad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was um, the intention. Uh, um, you know what I really struggle with, Michael, around the holidays is uh, finding stuff to wear to my various family engagements. Often I'm told, mm-hmm. "Oh, Ben, you look so scruffy this Christmas." Well, not this Christmas, Michael, because I've gotten my hands on the hot ticket of the winter season. <laughs> it's a Michael and Benjamin's T-shirt, straight from Michael and Benjamin themselves. Very good. Um, and yeah. it's still pretty scruffy though. It's, a, it's basically a white t-shirt, Ben. It's not going to help you too much. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Um, oh, well, ben, that was, that was you know what lived. isn't scruffy though? What isn't? The way you introduce the theme music. <gasps> theme music for the podcast. We don't actually have any theme music. But I hope someone will make some up for us I don't wanna name any names Rachel, I hope it's Rachel (laughs) (laughs) Ah, we've become everything we hate We don't have sound effects yet. It's when we start hitting a button that goes... Yeah, that's it then. That's That's what I quit the podcast. That's when we have to pack it up. Um, No, when we start doing... um, And no offense to Irish radio, but by that I mean full offense to Irish radio. When we start doing Mm -hmm. things like... Do you know what I hate, Niall? Do you know what I hate? Do you know what I hate? When I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, oh, God, work. And he goes, oh, I know, Samantha, I know. It's it's unreal getting in here. But we do have the best job in the world. The best job in the world. Best job in the ben, world. you have really genuinely missed a calling in Irish radio. Yeah. Uh, coming up is five more hits, because that's how we do it here. And then... Can we yeah. stop now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we, stop we can stop now. Yeah, please I'm, don't stop listening, ladies and gentlemen. emotionally looking for the button that changes the radio station <laughs> in my car. Benjamin! Yeah. You know what I do hate, though? What? Getting up for work in the morning. Oh, God, it is the worst. Yeah, no, Ben, be quiet for a second. Um, It's been a slow news week. It has. It's been bloody draining, Michael. Yeah, I think uh, a large part of it is that most of California is in, on fire. Uh, yes, and the Westworld set has been one of the victims. I know, I know that's not Ah, it. look, I looked into that a bit more, Ben. One of the kind of ancillary Westworld sets that they use for one or two scenes. It's, oh. it's not the main set. It's fine. Right, so you call bullshit, Michael? Not bullshit, just a bit of like, even your favorite nerd properties are being affected by this fire. What's really worrying is that people are losing their homes and lives. Uh, homes, I think homes and lives should then. probably be priority. I don't I don't know if we should detract from the new. You're right, Michael. We should have more yeah. journalistic integrity, really, shouldn't we? Yeah. So, Ben, uh, things that are happening. The Loki TV series looks like it's real. Mm, it's, it's an actual thing. Tom Hiddleston posted a very cryptic little... Uh, 
little little thing there's on some, his, his Instagram. Some Loki esque little piece. Yeah, did you see it? Did you, did you catch a hint? I did, of I did it? see it then. Yeah, I did yeah. see it. It said something like more stuff to do, more stories to tell, more mischief to make, more to come. A lot done, more to do. Uh, Loki is the Bertie Ahern of oh uh, God. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, Jesus. That's the end of Loki, so isn't it? Fuck. Also, then, uh, in somewhat related, no, entirely related, Jamie Alexander, who you might remember played Sif, uh, posted an image of herself as Sif uh, moments after Tom Hiddleston posted that. Again? Oh, that's, mm. that's, oh, so is she coming back? Ben, I don't know. That's literally all the information we have is that uh, she posted an image of herself as Sif. Goodness. Not, not a new image, an old image from one of the old flims. Go- okay. But uh, but uh, yeah, so she's either wants to be on board or is on board or just uh, it's a coincidence. Do you think it's going to be a prequel series? Ben, I don't want to speculate, to be honest. I uh, think uh, there's so little information about it that to, to speculate on it would be folly. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. You it's, know what I mean? We've been getting. Yeah, I think we very... have to wait till after Avengers four to see what's gonna go on. Yeah, we've been given very few breadcrumbs, Michael. You're right. You're right. We've been given very yes. few breadcrumbs to follow. Yes, Ben. In other news, Disney released the name for their streaming service. It's called Disney Plus. That's a shite name for a streaming service. It's isn't not it? a great si- name. I think we're just gonna keep calling it Disney Streaming Service thing. Yeah, it's a bit shit. Really, um, that's what we've been calling it the whole time. I so think that's actually better. Let's yeah, let's stick with it. Um, if Disney wants to buy that name off us, uh, you can get in touch with us here at Michael and Benjamin's podcast. At uh, gmail.com. At gmail.com. Um, just, yeah. just, you, know. you can also use that email address to send Ben any sort of harassment. Uh, most of the people who harass Ben online are doing it via Twitter, and Ben isn't on Twitter. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm just bear that in mind. Safe as houses. Um, I am mentally fragile, so if you don't want the weight <laughs> of something rather serious on your conscience, take it easy. Just pull a few punches. All right, yeah, I'm, ease off. Ease off a bit. I'm, ease off. Just a touch. Just a touch. Yeah. Looking at you, podcast wanker. Looking at you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, generally speaking, uh, I would I, love to have a troll, Ben. I, I think I, it's one I, of the I, best, I best things. I think it means I've made it. Situation. I think it means yeah. I've made it in some form. Made it in Irish podcasting, which is about the same as making it in any other obscure field. Yeah. Oh, I've made ben. it in ancient Mesopotamic uh, archaeology. You're going to be rolling in women now. I Rolling in women? Yeah. That's not... That doesn't sound nice. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's awful. Are they, it's terrible. Are they all oily or something? How um, would you... It's kind of like, you know, when you, you know when you zorb. You get into a zorb and there's just a field of women and you go down the field of women on a zorb. Oh, well, that's unpleasant. So you're theoretically ben. rolling in women. That's, uh, Is that that's sexist? Close. Benjamin, um, have do you remember, Ben, um, <laughs> the TV series Arrow? Yeah, fucking Arrow. Do you remember how it started as a relatively grounded, no costumes guy who was a vigilante being helped by his bodyguard and a girl on a computer? You have failed the city. Classic. Yes, that's the one. Um, in a lot of ways, The Gifted didn't really start like that, Ben. But because everyone had mad superpowers and code names and stuff, mm. but there were no costumes in The Gifted. Yes. yes. And The Gifted appears to be making his first step towards doing a costume. Oh, a costume. Are you still? Yeah, are you Lord, still Lorna Dane. Oh, excellent. The Polaris. AKA Polaris. Uh, she's moving towards her comic costume. Oh, she's getting a green headpiece. Oh. And a, and a green uniform. What? So I think they might be they might be getting ready to make that CW leap, where suddenly everyone has costumes. Oh, okay. I hope not. Um, keep them grounded, guys. We can have superpowers without fucking bright colors. Or if you are going to do it, just do it right. 
Just do it right. All right, right. You, know, you, you sound like Brian Singer. Who's, who's the worst Brian? thing? Oh, Brian Singer, the director of the X Men films, as in Mr. Leathercloud. Yeah, yeah, you sound like him. Mm. Yeah, no. The worst thing to happen I, to superhero films for the first fifteen years. I don't want a leather jumpsuit. I just want normal costumes. What's wrong with normal costumes? Well, are you saying normal costumes or normal? Clothes? Sorry, normal clothes. Normal clothes. What's wrong with normal clothes? It's boring. Ah, get out of here. No, you get out of here. Get out of here. We all wear normal clothes, Michael. You're saying the vast majority of the human planet is 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 a bloody boring person. Yes. Oh, Michael. There goes the listenership. Fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, anyway. Then speaking of costumes, did you see the alleged um, the alleged uh, concept art for the Avengers space costumes? Um, bloody fake, Michael. Um, I call fake, b- fake as fake. I call huge, tremendous piles of bullshit. Um, a fakety fake fake. Um, if yeah, you will. it's a poor fucking botched uh, mask job on each one of those people. Um, it's very clearly not the face um, that they were doing, and usually concept art like that is is done by Mr. Andy Park or um, something like that. So you'd, you'd see them painted more than bloody Photoshop slapped around. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know they'd have a bit more. They'd have a bit more skill in their yeah, composition. They'd so. have a bit more oomph in general. They weren't very inspiring costumes. I'd say. So we're just caught. I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if possibly one or two of the characters end up in them. Um. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. But also, I I call bullshit, Michael. It was a very botched Photoshop job. I think it's. I think it's coming from a toy packet. Uh, the one one. I think maybe Rocket Raccoon and Thor were a variation of it, at least for a few minutes. Hmm. But it could be just for a single scene, and someone then edited all the rest yeah. into them. It could be a leak of some kind, but I didn't. Uh, nah. I, I also it didn't it didn't do much for me, Michael. I'll be honest. Yeah, get out of here, you guys. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, bunch of bad eggs. Mm. Bunch of bad eggs. Bunch of bad eggs. Yeah, wasn't great. Anyway, what can you do? You know, we don't design costumes; they won't let us. Um, I do. Oh. Yeah, no one would wear them. No, I I'd, I'd wear one, Michael. I've uh, we, no. we have okay. Well, in fact, let's we have designed a costume. It's called the Michael and Benjamin's podcast T-shirt. <laughs> you can find it at the link below. Um, yeah, no. I'm then kidding. I was about to challenge you that I will design a costume and then make it, and then you will wear it for a Christmas special episode. I will. I will also do that. That's that's fu- now. Hang on. You you no. you no the, no the, the cons- no. Hang on. It's too late. <laughs> Damn it. The conceit here was that you could design a good costume. I would like to. I did not say that. Ah, shit. Uh, Well, it looks like I'll be wearing a strap on and a smile for the Christmas episode. (laughs) (laughs) Not for long with the smile. (laughs) Benjamin. Yeah. Ask me about what I did yesterday. Michael, being a slow news week, what did you do yesterday? Benjamin, uh, as you know, if you've been following us on Instagram, uh, yesterday was uh, the first ever all-female organized Comic-Con in Ireland. Was it? It was. It was called Valkyrie Con then. That's a good name. Uh, I went along to it. It is a good name. Uh, One of the things I wanted to know was who chose that name and why, Ben. So I asked the organizer that in a little interview. A little interview? Yes, Ben. We did a little interview. Um. But before we segue seamlessly into that interview, yeah, um, just to say a few. Look, Ben, it was small. It's a small con. There's, there's no getting around that fact. There is no getting around that fact. Where, where if was it, you, Michael? What? Where was it? It was in the Generator Hostel in oh, Dublin's Smithfield. A nice venue. A lovely venue, and mm. 
this isn't real good podcast material, but a guy I know is a manager there, apparently. Uh, well, um, good for him. I didn't know that he was. Good for him. Hmm. Anyway, um, it's an interesting venue, Ben. I had never been there before. It is a hostel pub venue combination thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, old, big old enterprise for the traveling, the discerning traveler. Yeah, and to be honest, Ben, this is a very much a grassroots thing. And as you know, here we like supporting the grassroots. You, we love an independent grassroots, especially an Irish independent grassroots. We, we're exactly, massive ben, fans of that. Sometimes grass grassroots grow into big giant pampuses. Yeah, and if if Michael <clears throat> name redacted uh, loves one thing, it's a big plump pampus. A big pampas. So that's a type of grass just for... <laughs> for anyone who's actually getting outraged there. Um, it's, a, it's a joke. Um, yeah, anyway, go on. Anyway, tell me more about so it. So then, yeah, these things, right, they have... A, they, they, they all start small, but this was, this was notably small. When I went along, there were probably 10 vendors. Okay. And probably about 40 attendees. But, um, as you which, said... So if you're, if you're going along expecting a Dublin City Comic Con... With its 10,000 attendees in the first, like, Dublin City Comic Con certainly didn't have that in the first year. Certainly not. No. So there were a couple of comic book shops. Dublin City Comics were there and a couple of uh, independent comic book retailers and people selling crafts and stuff like that. But, Ben, when it really kicked off was later in the afternoon Mm -hmm. when I think there were at least 30 people on stage with a collection of ukuleles, guitars. Oh, wow. And singing. And the... It it had as much of an atmosphere as a, a kind of a nerdy party. I'll take that. As a Comic-Con. I'll take <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so while I was there, Ben, I spoke to Tracy. Tracy was the delightful lady who was organizing it. Oh. And we're going to say, seamlessly now segue into uh, some outtakes. Not outtakes, that sounds negative. What's the... An interview. Some highlights. Some highlights. Some highlights of the conversation I had would you, with would you Tracy. Like, would you like to do uh, that again, Michael, and set that up no, again? No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a professional. I don't need to. Okay. I stand by when I say something stupid. Uh, we're going to segue seamlessly into some bloody. What was the word I was using? Highlights. Highlights of the interview I had with Tracy and uh, on the couch. And okay, let's uh, roll it there, Ben. <gasps> I'm here in the generator hostel with. Tracy Sanders. And Tracy is the organizer of the first ever Valkyrie Con. <laughs> and tell us what's uh, special about Valkyrie Con. It's amazing. <laughs> um, basically, we uh, came, well, I came up with the concept of having a female led comic convention that was also all inclusive. Um, I had come across a lot of people in the industry, uh, young Irish writers and artists and crafters, who were like, I can't get into the industry. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm like, actually, no, you can. No problem. And they were like, no, no, no. And I said, like, but most of the people I know in the industry are female. So I said, right, you know what? I'm going to have a platform for that. And I said, right, I can run a convention. It's not that hard, is it? <laughs> and that started in April and now it's November and we're here. <laughs> Very nice. Um, what type of creative people are we talking about? We're talking about uh, everything um, from comic books to digital art to pixel art to um, knitting to jewellery, handmade crafting, um, writers, artists, singer-songwriters, anybody who's in the creative field. And how did you get started in 
the kind of pop culture yeah. world. Well, I've, I've always been a, a comic fan, always. I'm just the biggest nerd you ever know. That's just, don't even say You see, I'm sitting here with my Star Trek badge, you know what I mean? For my, my Liberty Bell. Yay! Um, but the thing, um, what we do is I was really, really intense with my comics um, and I absolutely loved it. And I had a spinal injury and I lost my job and I wasn't able to continue working. And a friend of mine who uh, is in the industry and he was like, well, come on, Tracy, you got to write. You can write a comic. You can. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm dyslexic. It's not going to happen. And he pushed and prodded enough for me to write a little comic. And it was about one of his superheroes who was the grandmother. And it was about corned beef sandwiches. And I sent it to him and I didn't think he was going to like it at all. And then after about two days he mailed me back and he was like oh I've sent it to the illustrator and um, it's going in the book <laughs> and I was like okay so how did you get how did you get this off the ground what are the first steps in starting a new con I set up a chat group on Facebook and asked all my friends if they'd be interested and they were like sure <laughs> I have to be honest I'm probably one of the luckiest um persons here because I just I know so many people running conventions and it's hard mm-hmm. and it's you know problematic it's money it's just that and the other and I just kept asking people for stuff and they were like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, this, this is meant to be because, you know, the only trouble we had was with the Pope. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to change the date. The original date was the 25th of August. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it with the Pope. We're going to have our own thing. Well, this whole area would have been closed when the Pope Completely. was here. Completely. So there was no way to get here. So we said, right, we'll do November. Um, and that's what happened. You know, I just started asking people to be interested in me. Vendors. I came to the venue. Um, and they were just wonderful. They were like, this is exactly what we want in here. It's the type of industry that we're into. And I was like, great, that was fantastic. Um, how much? And he was like, I'll do your deal. I'm like, brilliant. <laughs> um, and then I went from there, you know, just I started asking friends. I went to other conventions. Everybody in the, the industry is just so friendly. It's a, it is a huge community. Mm-hmm. And we're just here about setting things up together. And they were like, whatever you need, just ask. Um, and that's what happened. <laughs> so the vendors and the people who are doing panels and things who are here today, they're probably going to be your legacy people. If this goes on for a few more years, these will be the ones who are here from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to mention a few names? Oh, God, there's so many. I couldn't, I couldn't men- If I don't mention everybody, they'll kill me. <laughs> so go on to the Facebook page and see all the artists, all the, the people who are here. I just, I'm really, really lucky. Um, there's like, like Claire, who's here, she's doing the sound engineering with Derek. They're doing it for free. You know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't ask for that. That would have cost me two and a half grand. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we'll do it. And it's like, okay, you know, I've got all the panelists that are here today. So we've got Poppy and Re- Rebecca and, and Meg. And they're all big. Poppy's really big in the dragon burlesque scene. So is Rebecca. Um, Meg is one of the most known cosplayers here in Ireland. And they're here helping me run cosplay events and doing, you know, panels. Mm-hmm. Um, Venus is here. She's a quite a well-known in, in the, the gods circuit, especially for her amazing singing voice. And she said, yeah, I'll do a songwriting contest for you, no problem. So that was it. Very good. Do you have future ambitions for the con? Two days next year. Two days next year. Yeah, um, I have I have dreams, I have ambitions, and I have hopes, and I have realisms. <laughs> um, realistically, I'm I'm very lucky that I uh, I podcast and write for a American company uh, called Comic Crusaders, mm-hmm. and by doing that, I was introduced to some very high profile names in the industry, and there's one in particular who's very interested in coming to Ireland. Oh. Um, so it's, it's Joe Saint Pierre. He does Spider Man, Venom. 
Lenham. He's an amazing artist and uh, one of my kind of heroes. Um, it was so funny the day I got to meet him online. They couldn't get the, the Skype call going. So like the guy that was running it was like, Tracy, will you just ring Joe? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, hi, Joe. And he's like, hi, Tracy, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm Irish person. too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah sure. Um, so I would love to be able to arrange with a couple of other conventions because there are two or three on around the same time mm-hmm. um, uh, of the end of October and the start of November. And if we could pool our... You know, our money together to get them over and I get them to every convention um, and then I've got a really good company in uh, New Jersey who are called Evil Cat and they're looking to be startups for young and new writers and they want to come over so if I can get them with my family here and just include it all in yeah. it'd, be, it'd be epic <laughs> and then you know go from there <laughs> Do you see yourself as kind of competing with the big two comic cons in Ireland no. or are no. you for, in a different market? Completely different market there's no need you know for me to even feel that you know I'm very very like some of the guys who um, actually do the DCC one mm-hmm. are here oh, <laughs> supporting yeah. me yeah. you know I'm so lucky that it is a really, really nice, you know, community. We're very, very lucky with the people that we have, especially around the country, more so than in Dublin. Dublin is great. You know, you've got your small press, which is phenomenal, um, and then the small press day is always great. Um, and Forbidden Planet run that, which is a, a great event for for Irish. And then you've got the big two that are always the people are aware of. But like around the country, we have ones in Cork, we have yeah. ones in Wexford and in Scorthy, we have ones um, in the Midlands and Port Leash, we have ones up in Belfast and Derry. And all we do is support each other. Yeah. You know, and that's what's fantastic because you wouldn't get that in a lot of industries. And to be so open with each other and to be helpful, it's amazing. And that's my probably my favourite word. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> I don't want to. Um, I don't want to be negative or anything. No, but no. what have been the challenges of getting this sort of thing off the ground? Um, doing it on my own. <laughs> um, it's a one-woman show. It's it? a, well, not really. I got uh, people who are. I got all my helpers here. But the actual concept of getting things started was a, a difficult thing for me, um, because I, I've got a spinal cord injury. I can't do a lot. So a lot of it was over the phone. It was mm-hmm. talking to people. And for me, that was the biggest challenge. Like, could I could I physically do it? Um, Whereas the, the bigger things, like getting the venue and getting money and music and things, it just seem to happen naturally. And I think, it, the, the, I think the country is wanting something like this now. Like, if you go around, it's, it is predominantly women um, at the moment. That was completely unintentional, you know what I mean? As I said, I just wanted the people who were running it. And, like, so my, my friend, Jilly, who was doing all the um, Facebook and social media, you know, I've got the female, all... all panelists I've got that's what I wanted Um, where everything else was whoever wants to be here can be well look I'm a man and I felt very welcome you're very very welcome (laughs) and I'm thanking you for coming it means a lot thank you very much Um, what do you think I've lost track of what I was going to (laughs) ask you you look nice to me and now I've lost lost track of what I was going to ask you oh you're like oh she said something nice I'm so kind (laughs) oh god I was embarrassed Um, what, what sort of creative aspects of the comic industry are you mostly into? I'm a writer. I love it. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't make no money. It's not about that. It's about me getting my stories out. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so lucky. There's, there's two girls outside there um, and they're both 18. And they're both socially awkward young girls. And I was so lucky to meet them at conventions. Yeah. And they've both done illustrations for me. Um, Venus, who's doing the songwriting course, is also an illustrator and a comic writer. And she's done an illustrations for me. It's about making that connection. My dream 
realistically my dream is to offer a platform I would like to have it somewhere where I can introduce people to each other because when you start off you have no money you know writers can't afford artists artists can't afford writers so I'd like to be able to provide that mix so that I can say hey actually come onto my page have a look at this because I think that artist would be really good for you or that writer would really suit your style and just mix and match people because it's, it is difficult when you don't know where to start yeah. And I was so lucky to get a really good start. Mm-hmm. I was I had people who were in the industry, who were friends, who were really, really positive for me. Um, it brought me out of such a... I was in such a big depression after having the spinal injury mm-hmm. that I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And this gave me this creative outlet to make sure that I was in a better place. So that's what I want to offer to others. That's, that's very, very admirable. Thank you. I should, uh, I should tell people listening that we're actually sitting in the back of the songwriting. We are, yes. So moment. if you hear people in the background, it's just you know people drawing and writing and doing things. And tell us a little bit about the name. Valkyrie for me is very important. You know, they, they Norse mythology in general is, is a thing, and they're just such powerful forces. They are the ones who choose who go to Valhalla, mm-hmm. and I feel like at the moment I'm the one who chooses to allow people to come together. And that's where it came from. <laughs> it's a bit cheesy, though. <laughs> it's my thing. Well, Tracy, thank you very much. Thanks thank for you. having us here. Thanks for um, for saying a few words. Thank you for coming. I really, really appreciate it. And do you want to say anything to the listeners before you go? Um, check out the page because it'll be back next year. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So Ben, if you um, we're back, we're back, baby, we're back. Ben, if you want to see those grassroots uh, flourishing into a massive pampas then you should head along next year because, as as Tracy said in an interview, she's hoping to turn into a two-day event. Yeah, that'll be cool. A two-day event is, is, is ambitious. I'm looking forward to see seeing what happens there. Um, a lot of passion there in that interview, Michael. I quite enjoyed it. Um, well, thank you, Ben. You're referring to me. Uh, of yeah, yeah. Obviously, Michael. Who else would I, I have refer a, to? Ben, I have a deep passion for interviewing people. You do. You couches. enjoy it quite a bit. You and your, your couch interviews. Um, no, but it was an interesting chat. I enjoyed I enjoyed hearing the origins of, of, of Valkyrie and, and whatnot. Um, very much an enjoyable interview. Uh, good, good. We'll, we'll put a pin in that and keep an eye on it. Yeah. Okay, Ben, uh, we're, we're doing a thing this week. I've forgotten what it was because yeah, I was yeah. doing an interview. Uh, that's so all right. Do... You're, you're busy doing interviews, Michael. Um, Michael, I'm a huge... Well, I and you... You and I um, are huge fans of mythology, Michael. Yeah, um, I would argue that that is true. Um, you would argue correctly in that case. Um, but um, as you know, we, we frequently feature um, different mythological things. Our, our most recent one probably being the Bog Road um, with the lovely Barry Keegan. Um, yeah. yeah, with the episode. Barry, of uh, Ben, Barry, who uh, put a post on Instagram recently letting us know that he's starting the sequel for the Bog oh, Road. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Can't wait for that. Uh, that will be bought. Um, th- there will be a-, a sequel, and it will be in my collection. Um, looking forward to it. But Michael, um, uh, what I wa- oh, what I did I want to talk but. about. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to issue an apology, Michael. Um, I was oh. having I was having a, a listen back to last week's episode, Michael, and as you know, I was I was a little bit fried, a little bit antsy because we did it a little bit later. Um, and there was a section in the middle of that podcast, Michael, where I said, eh, 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 <laughs> eh, eh. <laughs> About yeah. eight million times, and I'd yeah, like that's gold, Ben. That's podcast gold. I'd people like love on, that. That's what people tune in for. <laughs> I'd like to do two things. First of all, I'd like to thank my co-host for not being an absolute ass and pointing it out and making me feel like a dope. Um, and I'd also like <coughs> to, <laughs> I'd also like to apologise to all our listeners. Um, 
that I'm still doing it now, but I'd like to apologize to all our listeners and say very, very sorry. I hope that's not in every episode. And, so you've uh, done a you've done a Ben's retraction basically, but you've done a Ben's retraction on the sound. Uh... Yeah, I've done a Ben's retraction for my personality. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you just did it. There. Yeah. <laughs> Once you start, you can't stop. It's like really shitty Pringles. Yeah. So Ben, <clears throat> we both love mythology, is what you were saying there before you got a dose of self-deprecation. So, mythology who would you say the premier uh, kind of hero of mythology would be in comic books michael if you hercules uh, no no try again uh thor no no try again i don't really know what the question means fair enough it's uh the one i would say who is probably most heavily associated with comic books in in certainly in our lifetime michael is mm -hmm. is hellboy Oh, Hellboy. well, I disagree, but okay. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Hellboy, uh, in my estimation, <laughs> uh, created by Mike Mignola. No, um, I was I was sitting on my lime tree bower yesterday, Michael, um, and I was flicking through some some Hellboys, um, and I decided to uh, talk about it on the podcast today because I'm a big fan of Hellboy and all things Hellboy and all things Mike Mignola. So today we're going to be... Is flicking through some Hellboys equivalent to rolling in women? Uh, absorbing in women, Michael. Um, and yes, yes, it is. It's the same thing. Uh, that's a good air. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are going to be talking about Hellboy. Particularly, Michael, I was interested in how Hellboy generally kind of books against the comic book trend and became something very different from what he started out as. Uh, I think in a lot of ways he probably changed a lot of the expectations of what people thought they were going to get from his comic right. book. Um, and I also wanted to take a look at the different versions of him because we'll soon have a new, we'll soon have yeah. a new Hellboy movie played um, played by played by the man whose name I cannot remember. It's the sheriff from Stranger Things. Yeah, uh, David, David something. David something. David something. I'm sure he went to years of interviews and auditions just to uh, just to have people forget his second name yeah um it will david be david perlman D sorry david perlman david perlman you nailed it you nailed it. that was very no, didn't that's ron perlman oh, that was the first hellboy damn it damn it anyway the director of it's gonna be neil marshall who does a bunch of cool horror movies so that'll be fun um but yeah that got me thinking michael about all the things that uh hellboy is and isn't so for anyone who doesn't know uh hellboy is a very long-running series from dark horse comics it finished in 2016 after did it uh yes it finished um it was either 2016 or 2017 but it finished up um with three volumes called hellboy in hell uh, david harbour david harbour thank you very very much so neil marshall and david harbour are going to be going to be having a having a go um at hellboy rebooting the hellboy franchise so he's a very interesting character first of all um hellboy is the uh, eponymous character and he has a huge red right fist. hand um big old stone fist that is the key of doom um mm. and it was given to him by his father as a azale azale um and his father wants him to be the bearer of the apocalypse. He wants him to be the beast of burden, the the, the bearer of the apocalypse. Unfortunately for Big Papa Azazel, uh, he is found in World War II after being summoned to bring forth destruction on Earth. He is found by the Allies during World War II. Ah, oh, the Allies. Good and he's, he's taken under the wings of the Allies and he becomes a force for good. Um, he is the unstoppable force of, of justice in the mythological world, the strange and twisted world of mythology. 
For me, Michael, the first time I read Hellboy was probably when I was around uh, 13. Back in the day when I was an illegal little munchkin, uh, I would use LimeWire to find all my comics. LimeWire? LimeWire. Now, there's a... There's a a bloody Quick shout out to LimeWire. Yeah, there. a bloody Trojanware um, riddled thing that was LimeWire. LimeWire was a great little how thing. How many how many computers did you destroy with LimeWire? Just Wire? just the one, just the one. Um, I, luckily, I was a smart enough child to have a lot of antivirus stuff, and we ended up scrubbing that clean. And my dad is pretty good with computers, so we we saved the family computer. But my God, good. This episode brought to you by Norton, but Norton antivirus. Um, yep. Yeah. So that was great. Uh, I found him specifically because I typed in Batman. I used to love the old Batman comics. And I found one called Batman and Hellboy. And it was a duo uh, drawn by Mike Mignola. And the two of them were running around fighting the L demons. Uh, he's a massively popular character, uh, Michael, from Dark Horse Comics. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of... He's been animated a couple of times. He's had two Guillermo del Toro movies, uh, which which are quite good, Ben. Which are honest. which are quite good in terms of aesthetic. They're not really Hellboy movies, I would argue. Get, wait, oh, and I think, in fairness, Mike Mignola would probably argue that as well. But we'll get to that in a second, Michael. Okay, because I'm interested in hearing more about yeah, that. Then um, we'll get to that in a second, Michael. Uh, what's very interesting about Hellboy is the way it's drawn. I think it's one of the most distinct comics that I've ever uh, read. Michael Mignola is a huge fan of unified line weight, Michael. And unified line weight uh, is basically, I'm sure you know what that is, but for anyone who doesn't know what unified line weight well, is... Well, Ben, I don't know. I've never heard of it before. I can guess because I understand what all of those words mean. But why don't you imagine that I don't understand things and, and explain it? Fair enough. Generally speaking, Michael, when we draw something, uh, we vary the line quality to show different light on form. So, uh, for example, if you have one side of the body facing the light, the line will be thinner because the light slowly pushes the darkness away. If you want to draw emphasis on a particular part in the shadow, etc., you will have a heavier line. This variation, when you put it through a form, for example, a forearm, or a pectoral muscle or something like that gives the illusion of the thing being a little more living and breathing. It's a trick employed by mm. artists to bring a 3D quality to a 2D form. Uh, how did, you I, see, did you see my pectoral muscles on our Instagram? I, I did, Michael. Uh, if you take a look popular. at our um, Instagram, ladies and gentlemen, you will find our brand new Michael and Benjamin's podcast t-shirt <laughs> worn fetchingly by Michael of Michael and Benjamin's yeah. podcast. Uh, for an extra 25 euro, Michael will actually wear your t-shirt and we'll ship it to you with his musk. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We're a creepy Japanese schoolgirl man now. <laughs> ben. <laughs> yes. Uh, you'll notice in the photo I cut out most of my head, which is often described as my least fetching feature. Ah, oh, that's not true, Michael. I have to yeah, look at no, your head every Sunday. Ladies, I've grown quite the fond ladies, of The ladies, they're like, stick a paper bag over that and just show us the pecs. They, to be fair, you are you are Michael Pecs redacted for privacy reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, Ben, my surname is in my Instagram name. Everyone bloody knows it. Doesn't matter. Go on, tell I, us. About, anyway, uh, tell us about so, Hellboy. So Stop when you look at pecs, you weirdo. when you look at um, a lot of '90s comics. The, yeah. the style that became very prevalent was the heavy render style. Uh, there was a heavy focus on... We've talked about this before. Yes, we have, absolutely. Uh, on heavy, heavy shadow, massive amounts of uh, varied line quality, huge, huge focus pecs. on pecs, anatomy in general, over-rendered anatomy, uh, extremely proportioned anatomy, etc. Tiny little feet. Uh, Mike Mignola came along and abstracted all this when you when you look at a mike mcnola drawing 
Uh, I hope mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that right. It could be Mignola. I'm not yeah, sure. It could be Min. I don't know. I don't know how he says it. Will we say Mignola from now on? Let's say Mignola. No, from you now on. you just go with it, and I'll try and you'll look try it up. and source that. But when you look at at some of his work, you can do a neat thing if you cover or zoom in on a certain part of his work. If you're reading his work in a digital format or something like that, you will notice that you can't really tell whatever it is when you go up close. When you pull out of one of his panels, you see this beautiful effect because he's very happy to maintain that 2D style. Um, when you look at Mike Mignola's art, it's incredibly dark. He loves heavy shadows, but he doesn't like transitions. So most drawings that you will see will follow the basic rule of one, two, and three when you come to a shadow. So one will be the light, two will be the interim between the light and the shadow, and three will be the darkness, okay? But I believe in a thing called love. Mike Mignola loves a one-three kind of combo he has a stark contrast between light and shadow and it makes for some fantastic images it looks a little bit i heard it once described as stained glass so when you read yeah, mike mignola you see that, yeah. it's like stained glass or someone else theorized that when you read mike mignola it's like a tapestry from an old mythology yeah yeah, yeah i can see that there's a certain um it lacks some of the the kind of implied three-dimensionality of some other comic book artists. I think what's interesting is that Mike Mignola, Mignola, Mignola is it's Mig, it's Mignola according to Wikipedia. Okay, well, I'm going to say Mignola. Then I'm going to I'm going to hit a happy interim. Um, what's interesting when you look at his work, his earlier work especially, uh, he's quite good at drawing. Like this, his <laughs> his not a compliment. No, 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 but his many people when they see his work for the first time go oh he's just not very good he's excellent his stylistic choices are exactly that stylistic choices mm, uh, interestingly choices. Uh, interestingly he hates his own work um he oh. he recently had a retrospective um at the society for i think it was the, the so- prevention of cruelty to animals uh, no 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 the society of illustrators or visual artists in la um, and it was a combination of the work that he had saved over 25 years um, and it was quite a lot, but when he was asked, you know, if this was a large body of his work, he would say, no, this is the stuff that I didn't destroy. Um, wow. So quite frequently after doing his work, he would get rid of it. He didn't like it at all. Mm. Um, he used it as a medium to tell his story. So that's the first thing I think that makes it really distinctive as a piece of work. The second thing that makes it distinctive as a piece of work is the character itself. Hellboy is a fascinating character. Uh, when he was creating this character, he originally envisioned him very differently. The The first ever kind of sketch of Mike, of Hellboy is radically different to the, the character that we have now. Hellboy originally was a 1991 Comic-Con sketch. Um, he's very big, broad. He has a big head yeah. and a lion's big mane. It, nothing like... Mm-hmm what we see later on. Then, um, later on, Mignola said that he got the inspiration for Hellboy in general from a Batman comic that he drew uh, called Sanctum. And in Sanctum, Batman chases a criminal into a graveyard and he opens a crypt and he's kind of beset upon by visions of hell and demons and that kind of mm. thing. And apparently, according to Mignola, this is kind of the, the seed that brought on Hellboy a little bit later. The other interesting thing about Hellboy... It was the grassroots. It was the grassroots that turned into ben, a mighty pamphus. Um, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Ben. I'm yeah. going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to sure. interrupt you first. Um, did you ever pay any attention to the Batman black and white statues that were I, a thing for a while? I love the Batman black and white statues. I would never buy them, Michael, because I feel like I would waste an awful lot of money that way. But they're also quite expensive. They're also quite expensive, but they are very cool. They are based on the Batman black and white anthologies, Michael. Yeah, but books. the best thing about them, Ben, was the Mike Mignola one. Yeah, it was a bloody good statue, wasn't it? Because it was a good statue, but also, if you were putting a lot of those statues on your shelf, a lot of the artist's work don't look 
sufficiently different that people wouldn't come into your house and just say, oh, you have lots of statues of Batman in different costumes. Yeah, that's not right. But the Mike Mignola one was made it clear that it was a different artist. Yeah, he's very distinct. Like His, his yeah. work is incredibly distinct. And you know Mignola straight away. Um, it's a fascinating thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. I love, I love his Batman work in general. His Batman work in general is, is quite good. Him. No, go back to what you were saying there. Uh, yeah, so um, when he originally originated, he originated it as a team comic book. Um, and he had a difficult time coming up with the concept and how it would all work. And then he ended up focusing on Hellboy. Um, Hellboy right. has gone through a few different iterations. He's been like cover illustrations and things like that. Originally, he was white before he was red. Um, mm-hmm. And then he became the Hellboy that we all know and love by 1993 when he began his first um, uh, edition. He, he came out in SDCC. Um, in a little mini thing with John Byrne, he was working with John Byrne at the time. Um, and so 1993, 1993, very old. Did, I, did anything else interesting happen in 1993? Uh, not that I know of, Michael. Okay, good. Um, I was born in 1991, Michael. If that's what you're alluding to. Um, no. No. What What else happened in 1993? Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's an inkling in your mind. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Go on. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, John Byrne was originally Hellboy is surprisingly old. Uh, Hellboy is surprisingly old. He's he's coming up on. Oh, this is going to get me in trouble. Oh, here we go. This oh, I don't want to do this, Michael. Just tell me. Twenty five. He's coming up. Oh, he's twenty five. It's his twenty five year anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. This year. Um, yeah. Um, and that's what the sorry. That's what the show in LA was. It was a twenty five year retrospective on Hellboy and the work of Mike Mignola. Um, so that actually makes a lot more sense. Um, but. Yeah, so it, it then became the the Hellboy Seeds of Destruction, and we had the World War Two arc um, mm-hmm. and all of that. So in in his initial a Nazi, yeah, in his initial innings, he's very much you know taking on the Nazis and stuff like that. Um, and I think a lot of that was probably John Byrne's influence. So he's not co-created by John Byrne. I should mention John Byrne helped him to write this initial run. He he, he did not create the character, and he has no. Uh, affiliation with the, the design or the creation of the character it's not one of these bill pullman bob kane gigs or what's john burns weirdness you know how chris claremont turned out to be mad into kind of mind control sexual domination uh, what's john Byrne into that's a good question john Byrne is into i think john Byrne likes a dominatrix doesn't he isn't he the one who redesigned sue storm uh, as a... he's a she-hulk he's into a muscular woman He's into a large muscular he's, he's woman. Large, That's he's what into it a large is, muscular he woman. He's he's a large. He's a She-Hulk, um, kind of guy. He's a Wonder Woman kind of guy. Um, mm. John Burns into a muscular woman, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, I suppose. Nothing wrong with that, Benjamin. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but anyway, initially, a lot of that World War Two kind of thing shaped who Hellboy was. He has a strong dislike of Nazis. Um, as mm-hmm. as do most sensible people. Don't we all, Ben? Um, as do most sensible people, Michael. But originally, one of the interesting things that happened there, I think John Byrne and and uh, Mike Mignola had a parting of the ways at some point. Oh, uh, no. Because in About the, whether yeah, women should be large and muscular. I suppose that could have something to do with it, yes. Um, initially, um, John Byrne had a character called the Torch of Liberty. Um, right. And he was a World War Two kind of parody of the Defenders or the um, the DC Legion of Liberty. You know them, oh, Uncle yeah, Sam. The and, yeah, exactly. So he was kind of a parody of them, and he is the character who gave Hellboy 
his famous gun, the big gun that he uses in the movies oh, and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. But that was later retconned with the introduction of Lobster Johnson. Um, and Great Lobster name. Johnson is, uh, first of all, the t- the, he's one of the, the key kind of comic book heroes of Hellboy. Um, and it turns out he might also be real um, later on. Um, and he is the one who gives him the gun in the end. Um, so that's an interesting bit of retconning. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But anyway, what makes Hellboy so interesting is it's actually based on his father. Hellboy's character, um, his personality is based on his father. Um, one of the unusual things that you get when you read Hellboy is, is Hellboy is completely unfazed by any weirdness um, that happens around him. He's perfectly yeah. stoic. He's this great character. Um, and he becomes very stoic. And one of the wonderful things about Hellboy is it very much starts off as a classic kind of superhero paranormal investigation thing. He's part of the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, which is the BPRD. He works as part of a team. They get call outs on missions. It's a little bit like Ghostbusters with an edge. Um, and slowly over time, Hellboy begins to realize that his humanity doesn't really fit that team. And those two things part ways. And it's it's interesting. Hellboy then goes off into his own series and the BPRD gets their own series as well. And it becomes a whole thing. So it's very interesting. As this progression comes along, um, that stoic nature of Hellboy is, is as I said, based on Mignola's father. Mignola's father worked at a, a foundry, a metalworking factory. The straightest job in America. Yeah. And basically what, what would happen is his father would come home and he would kind of tell his son stories about accidents in the foundry or give him, you know, updates in the day. And apparently, apparently, one day he came home with a story about a man who lost his right hand in a foundry accident. Um, right. And Mignola was incredibly struck by how calm his father was telling this story. His father mm-hmm. never sensationalized the stories or anything like that. He would just casually tell the stories. And this heavily influenced the character of Hellboy in general. This stoic kind of nature is based very much on Mignola's father, which I thought was quite cool. It's quite a, it, that is interesting. It's quite an interesting uh, homage to give to your father because it's such a beloved character, um, partly due to the um, characterization and partly due to other things. But anyway, as the story progresses, Hellboy becomes more and more the vehicle for the stories as opposed to the central focus of them. That's a good point, Ben. Hellboy kind of bears witness to a lot of the stories that come through. And it, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that really sets these comics apart is you really pick up on Mignola's deep, deep love of mythology. Um, Mignola is clearly someone who, who spends many, many hours reading mythology, researching mythology, making footnotes of things, uh, mental earmarks and things like that to, to come on later and bring them into stories. Uh, the Hellboy stories have featured tons and tons of, of real-life mythology. For example, Baba Yaga, um, mm-hmm. Kazuchai the Deathless, uh, Hecate, 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 I can never Hecate. say her name, Hecate, thank you. Um, she's the goddess of witchcraft um, from Greek mythology. Oh, there was some Ir- Irish there's stuff in it. There's tons of Irish stuff. He's a big fan of Irish mythology, and he actually finds some of the more obscure stuff. There's a changeling arc. Um, as it turns out, um, so this this is probably a good time to to segue into the, the adaptation crisis that happens with Mignola. So, um, as you know, in the... You're saying that Mike Mignola doesn't like the movies. I'm not saying that exactly, but I'm saying he certainly does They're your exact words. I'm saying, I'm saying that he doesn't like adaptations of his work in general. Um, oh, he's a bit of an Alan Moore. No, no, no. He has no problem with them, but he has he he has admitted himself that he struggles with distancing himself from his own projects. Go so on. he finds it difficult to let other people play with his things. Like how you don't like when we have guest hosts. Yeah, I fucking hate guest hosts. How dare they? <laughs> how dare they? 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, in all seriousness, stay the fuck away from the tiny room when I'm not there. Um, <laughs> no, but um, what I mean by that is, so he has actually said this. Um, stay the fuck away from the tiny room. Yeah, stay the fuck away from the tiny room. Um, no, when he was asked about you know the Guillermo del Toro movies, he said himself, he says, they are fantastic standalone Guillermo del Toro movies. Ben, you know that around this boy, we call him GTT. GTT, GTT. He mm. says, they are fantastic standalone GTT movies. And then yeah. he was asked, you know, to expand on that. And he says, well, for me, it's, and this is a direct quote, it's so much somebody else's version of my thing that it's generally mm. pretty easy for me to distance myself. Right. So he's, his main criticism of the Del Toro movies is they were too light. Um, oh, and the second one had heavy comedic tones um, right. that he didn't like because it's okay. not a comedy. Hellboy is not a comedy. He's not a funny character. It's mm. not a thing that he does. His stories are dark. People die in them in horrific ways. Um, there's a lot of sacrifice and things like that, that that runs through the narrative. And to be fair... Do you think that the new movie is going to be more like that? I, I think it is because Neil Marshall is directing it. Um, mm. And... One of the main reasons that Mignola has allowed it to go ahead is because he is a huge Neil Marshall fan. Um, he he wrote uh, Dog Soldiers. Okay, that's a horror film. Um, uh, he wrote The Descent. Um, he wrote Doomsday, that Scottish uh, apocalypse narrative. Um, oh, yeah, that's no good. He's a British director. But anyway, he also wrote Dog Soldiers, and there's another big one that he wrote. I'll look it up as I'm talking. Um but yeah, so th- I think that tone is going to come back in. It's it's about the Blood Queen, um, and spoilers for the the Hellboy uh, series. But Hellboy actually dies fighting the Blood Queen. The Blood Queen is the oh. end of Hellboy, and that's how we started the uh, Hellboy in Hell narrative. That's how that happened. Um, so no, he dies in a comic book. Way. He dies in a comic book. No, no, no. He never comes back. This is how. This is the swan song of Hellboy. Oh. Hellboy saves the world from the Blood Queen, but dies in the process. And then his and final dying. I'm going to get to that in a second because the ending of Hellboy is part of the reason that I love him so much. Um, and uh, isn't is it? Mila Jovovich playing? Uh, yeah, playing the Blood Queen. She's, she's to be the Blood Queen. Um, so it's going to be interesting, Michael. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But anyway, in terms of adaptation, his stuff has also been frequently adapted into animated series. He doesn't like those at all. Um, he doesn't like the art style. He's never watched them. He says um, he <laughs> seems kind of whiny. No, no, no. Um, he has no problem with them. He says he doesn't mind, but he says it's somebody else's version of my work, and I find it difficult because I'm so. He admits himself he's too sensitive about Hellboy. Right, he says he feels. Uh, but in fairness, he has created an entire world, largely himself. That's that's what mm-hmm. makes him so unique. Mike Mignola has created one of the most beloved um, properties in comic book history, and uh, I think what makes it even more interesting is he's been given full control from start to finish. Yeah, he's the writer and artist. He's the he's writer, like Eric Larson on Savage Dragon, but better. I I don't like Savage Dragon very much. Dragon. Um, whereas I absolutely love Hellboy. I think he's a wonderful writer. I think he knows how to pay stories, and I think he knows how to guide a story completely. So he moved from this kind of superhero narrative um, of the team going off and fighting battles, and it became very much a solo thing of a man versus his destiny, trying to redeem himself. Because remember, Hellboy lives with the weight of knowing that he's going to bring about the apocalypse. Yeah, or the, I know what that's like. You do, Michael. You have frequently... I've frequently come to the tiny room hearing you scream, back, file demon, back! 
Yes. Um, as you thrash them with one of Michael and Benjamin's brand new sturdy t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I love a throwback. But one of the one of the excellent things about it is, um, and one of the things I think that jar with that is the tone of the movies. The movies are yeah. a team thing. And one of the other things that jars with that is he falls in love with Liz. Um, Liz is a minor character in the comic books. Yeah, but she can do a fire with her she, mind. She can do a fire with her mind, but that really means nothing. Um, she's not a, a romance. That's the main thing I look for in a woman. She's not a romance thing. And in, in the comics, he actually falls in love with an Irish woman. Um, oh, that's much better. Called Alice. Um, and the reason that he falls for Alice is because she's normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, good old she's, Alice. Good old Alice. No, she's very caring and lovely. It's a nice characterization. She's one of the norms. Um, but it's not a traditional relationship. He goes to Ireland when he can, and he he spends time there and um, with her. But it's not a central focus. His, it's she's never fridged. She's never a damsel in distress. Alice oh, is good. someone who loves Hellboy, but is never wound into the plot. I think for me. What makes it so fascinating as a as an end to a series, and this is major spoilers for the end of the Hellboy franchise, uh, the the 25-year the run, or the 23-year run by the time it wrapped up, was fascinating because we had always kind of threatened that he would bring about the apocalypse. And really what people were expecting was a huge kind of apocalypse. end-all battle. Yeah, you know, uh, Hellboy versus the big boss, you know, um, bringing about the end of humanity or defending the end of humanity or whatever. That's not what we got at all. Um, the way Hellboy in Hell is framed is fantastic. Um, for the first time ever, throughout most of the series, Hellboy was our kind of way into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one that we... What, what he knew, we knew. And yeah. that's what led to the suspense. Uh, Mignola kind of completely parted with that in his final framing technique. And it was a story told by a, a lesser demon of his time in hell about hell so he tells the story of hellboy and, and what this does michael in a really fascinating way is it transitions hellboy from a first person narrative into a third person narrative which is traditionally how myths are told nah. this li- this little demon becomes the unreliable oral nah. narrator um, and the story begins to grow and grow and grow and grow um, and it becomes really, really exaggerated. And we see these fantastic panels for the first time um, of Hellboy fighting demons nonstop in hell. And it becomes this fascinating thing. Uh, Mignola does a, a fascinating thing with color in his work. He uses muted tones because he, he doesn't believe um, that the world is full of color. And he thinks color should be used to emphasize a moment, not to direct your entire narrative. So usually when we see Hellboy, it's muted unless you see a patch of blood um, or mm. a fire or something like that, and then orange and red are brought in in full effect. It's it's a fascinating... It's a bit Frank Miller-y. It, it, I, I would say it's probably cleaner and used with more restraint than Frank Miller, but um, I would agree with you, it is Frank Miller-y. Um, but anyway, this story is told over and over again, um, and there's, there's no great bang uh, to the end of Hellboy. Uh, Hellboy fights his way out of hell and receives his final rest, and... Um, and I think the really interesting thing is the demon tells the story in an exaggerated way, but, but one of the final panels... It's like Frank Miller. Uh, <laughs> one of the final panels is just Hellboy coming across this scene between the demon and the person he's telling the story to. Huh. And in the, demon's, in the demon's story, he's this huge red creature with the burning crown of flame and the giant horns. And when mm-hmm. we see Hellboy watching this story being told... 
He's just, just Hellboy. Hellboy. Nah, very and clever. the end is the end is and then nothing happens that's the last panel of the hellboy thing um very good and that's the the end of the story and it's the end of a myth it's just it the the kind of the solace that mike mignola gave to his readership is that he will go down as a hero and a myth in hell mm. but to us he's still hellboy it, it, ultimately what this final issue tells us is that hellboy died a man more than a monster Nah, which is something he had been fighting against for for a long, long time. I honestly think it's one of the greatest ends to an arc for something that started as a simple supernatural superhero comic to turn into this massive mythology machine that pays so much homage and respect to old stories. is just a fantastic thing for me. But more than that, what really stuck out for me, Michael, and what makes it so affecting in comics is that it's proof that one man can direct and draw and create a very lasting testimonial he's he's like eric larson uh, no um i'm not allowing that i'm not putting that in there no um so uh, mike mignola kind of recognizes this himself he says it's it's rare for a guy to create something that turns into an actual thing in this Mm. day and age and i think that was far more common with people like um you know stan lee who gave us our you know, a big chunk of our world when he stole work from other people. Um, you know, but <laughs> he didn't steal the work; he just stole the credit. He gets all that credit, you know, and that's less of a thing these days. I think usually creators are kind of more infamous with their creations. I think Lee Field and Deadpool are a good example of that. But it's rare that someone can create something so impactful on the comic book community, and I really think that's what Hellboy is as a general ben, rule. Ben, to wrap to wrap up for us there, Go on. if you could recommend just. Let's say, for example, the apocalypse was ensuing. Yes. And I had only time to read two or three Hellboy things. What would I read? Uh, oh, two or three Hellboy things. Oh, good. Hellboy in Hell at the end of the run. That that should be your third thing to read. Right. Of the two or three things. Um, his run um, with the Sea Chronicles. He has a... It's volume four, I think. In the Depths is what it's called. Um uh, absolutely fantastic um if you want some good old-fashioned silver ale age nuttiness seed of destruction the first run is just fantastic um there's nazis in articulated chimp suits it's a whole thing it's fantastic and then watch the films uh nope don't watch the films you don't have to watch the films you can watch the first film don't watch the second one i like the second one screw you get out of here bad luck get out of here um ladies and gentlemen curiously we we kind of i i wanted to start a series of these things where we look at things that impacted comic books in a real way so do you have any series that or characters that you really think book the trend of the traditional comic book narrative Um, and walking dead let us know no fuck walking dead um let us know down below um what you think don't listen to michael um would you be interested in buying merchandise from Michael and Benjamin? <laughs> <laughs> ben, stop pushing this. There's, there's literally one in existence. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> uh, but seriously, let us know. Is Hellboy a big thing for you? Did you find it? Do you mm. find it irritating? Do you not like minimalist art styles? Do you not like mm. um, things with less characterization? Let, let us know down below. Do you love the Del Toro movies? Um, yeah. let, let us know down. If you are GDT, below. you can send us in an email and defend your choices. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all from us for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, bye. Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. No. Last roundup. We are on Instagram. We are on oh, YouTube. We are on iTunes. We would love a yeah. review. Um, yeah. If you could get one. Um, do a review of we'd, us. We'd, we'd, we'd be big old bitch. fans if you gave us a review. That'd be a real good egg thing to do. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's us. Bye. Bye.